James chapter number 3, and we'll begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. And even so the tongue is a little member, boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So is a wise man, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. I don't want to speak this morning on this thought, just simply up from the well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I pray, Father, that you be with us. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge and encourage us in the way. Lord, may you be honored and glorified by how we respond to you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You, know, you talk about this, and he's laying out here. Uh, you know, how powerful conversation is, what we say, what we do, uh, what comes out. And what comes out, honestly, is just a reflection of what's buried within. Uh, there's not really any way around that, and that's the point that he makes here uh, as he it gets down to verse 10. Out of the mouth that proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, ought, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth of the same place sweet water and bitter? Uh, you know, that's, we, we have two natures. And so we, we're constantly struggling and battling between our two natures. And when the old nature raises its head, what comes out is not good. It's not honoring to the Lord. It's not pleasing. It doesn't, it's not flattering to us. It doesn't speak well of who we are and where we are in our walk with Christ. And whenever we're walking in the Spirit, uh, then we can speak or live in a way that's, that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. And so what we're doing essentially is drawing water when we speak from the well. We're revealing what's inside. Now, we don't, we don't draw water that way. We go to the faucet and we turn it on, right? And even if you're on a well this morning, you have a pump that's buried in it that pumps the water up for you. You don't go out with a bucket uh, and send it down and, uh, and fish it out and uh, get it all carved up and ready to be pulled up and have it sloshing and spilling around. Years ago, whenever I was the director at a boys' home, we, uh, we supplied that, that all of our water was supplied with well water. And for most of the time, when I got there, the, the community of us that lived on there was small enough that there really was no interference or no oversight from any kind of government regulation it was just as if we were a household. But when we got to have uh, more than 30 people on the well, that put us in a whole different classification. And so the state shows up and, uh, and we're trying to figure out, well, what can they enforce and what can't they? And we want to be good citizens and uh, respectful to authority, but we don't want to cede any of our uh, rights as a church and a ministry as, uh, also. And so uh, when they came in and we had to start submitting our water. So every, uh, I don't, I forget, I think it was once a month we had to take a water sample and we had to send it in. And then we had to completely redo our entire wellhead. We had to put in this uh, three-tiered filtration system. It had three different types of filters in it. Uh, it was, it was a, a, an investment early on, but it, it was, it, but it was mostly things that we had people that were capable of doing the work. And, uh, and so it was a process, but uh, but it, it, uh, it, it filtered that water when it came out, and we still, for 
uh, all of that time after had to send in these samples on a regular basis as mandated by the state. Uh, and so we're there and, you know, there's some things about that. The, the water that came out was the same water. And even though after the wellhead was changed and we put in the new the filtration system, the water was filtered, but it's still the same water. And you can filter your speech, but you can't change the source. Now, God can change the source. And God will change the source. And for a Christian, the source should be different. But we need to realize that we really can't alter the essence of who we are. Only God can do that. We can filter it. We can, we can package it. We can, uh, we can be careful about how we uh, let things come out. And we, uh, we, we want to be you know, mindful of how things sound coming out and how impactful they are on someone else. But what really should be achieved in, the, in our walk with Christ is a, a transformation of who we are. I should not have to be nearly as careful with my words now as I was 30 years ago. Because the, the source should be different. The, the, short, the source should be transformed. Now, I'm grateful for people that have a filter. I meet some people from time to time that don't have one. Uh, and so most of us know people like that. They're generally not that pleasant to be around for very long. Uh, and so they, they, they wear you down pretty fast. Uh, and so if you're one of those people that don't have a filter, uh, I hope that you find a friend or two along the way. Uh, but you probably won't have many. Uh, and so uh, at least not for very long. Uh, and so, but if we can be disciplined enough to filter ourselves, that, that's, that's not a bad thing, but a better thing is to just let God change who we are. Amen. We need to be transformed. And so he gives the, uh, the, the analogies here of uh, putting a bit in, uh, in a horse's mouth and, uh, and the, the rudder uh, and the helm controlling a ship that's driven by winds. We were, oh, I guess it was probably about, uh, Tuesday, maybe Tuesday or Thursday, we went up to uh, a point. It's it's kind of the opposite side of the south shore of Oahu, uh, where the volcano where Diamond Head is, and there's a lighthouse there out on this point. And uh, there's a, a good path. It's about it's about uh, it's, they say it's about uh, three quarters of a mile to the top, but it's more like it's more like a full mile. Uh, and along that trail, when you look out this time of the year, then there generally are a lot of humpback whales that are breaching there. They, they migrate about 10,000 of them from the Arctic Circle down to the, the Hawaiian waters and they uh, feed and they calve and they, uh, they get their young strong enough to travel back to the colder northern water. Uh, and so, but it, that day that we went, for about the last four days that we were there, there was a very strong trade wind. Uh, and the water was so choppy that you really could, they weren't jumping and they breaching, they, they, but you could see if you knew what to look for, uh, them breathing. Uh, and so, but there were so many white caps everywhere and the wind was so strong uh, that when he talks about here the, the power of the wind, we kind of think of the power of the wind in terms of a storm like a hurricane or something like that, tropical storm. No ship is going to operate and function in that. The, the analogy here is just a strong trade wind and it, it's it, but I'm telling you it was when we stood up at the very peak of that looking down at this lighthouse on the top of the hill it was uh, it you almost felt like you needed to hang on whenever it got there was a gust uh, and so it just it was very powerful and thinking about a small vessel uh, being pushed by sail and of course everything today is steam or powered uh, in a mechanical way uh, by an engine but it, but it's just so it's so fierce and powerful. The, the analogy that that's how strong <coughs> words are, how strong conversations are, how, how impactful they are. I, I can remember probably about three or four distinct times in my life, some of them when I was really young, even, you know, probably about sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, even words from a peer, but especially when it came from authority figure that were negative and that I've never forgotten. That the power of, of some things is just overwhelming. And, and Paul or James is making that point here where he's, he's laying out here, listen, that thing that's so small in us wields so much power but what comes out of it, what it speaks, is only a revelation of what's buried inside. It only reveals who we are. I can filter it. 
but I can't change it. And when I'm put to the test, it really reveals itself. Every so often in a refrigerator, we get the light pops on, you gotta change the filter in the, uh, in the refrigerator water, and if you've got that type of a, of a refrigerator, you know what I'm talking about. About twice a year, you gotta change that, you gotta change that filter out, and whenever it's getting to the end, it's, it's really the water's running slow, uh, it, it's just not the same. You can tell, okay, the, the light's about to come on because the pressure's just different. Everything is different about it. Uh, and so it, it, it's stressed. And then you take it off, and, and if you if you want to run through it, you kind of see a true picture of what you're getting. What I'm saying this morning is just simply this. When I'm put to the test, when I'm stressed, when I lash out, when I snap, it's really a, it's really just identifying who we truly are. Now, I'm ashamed to say that. I'm not always proud of how I would respond to some things or how I would react to certain things. And, uh, and, but, but it's a, a revelation of who we are. Now, if we're wise, we'll, we'll learn from that and we'll begin to ask God to work on those areas of our life. But what's in our heart is what's going to come out of the mouth. There's an old poem that says, Guard well thy tongue, it stretches far, for what you say tells who you are. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that uh, that words are powerful and they matter. The older he grew, it said of an older man, the older he grew, the less he spoke and the more he said. And so we need to be cautious that we're not just rambling idly. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verses 34 through 36 to the, uh, to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, oh, generation of vipers, you know, it's kind of those verses, uh, I'm always mindful of those verses whenever people come out and they say, you know, Jesus never said anything that was direct or blunt or uh, rebuking uh, or things of that nature. They want to play off like, you know, God is love. And in today's translation of that is, is that God's just okay with whatever you want to do. No, God is still holy and God is still righteous and God still has problems with our sin. Uh, and so he says, oh, generation of vipers, how can ye or you be evil speak good things? And he just tells them, you're evil. You can't say anything that's worthwhile or good. Now, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. For a good, a good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That's a horrifying thought to me. That I'm going to have to give an account for God for every idle word. Not the measured words, not the calculated words, not the well thought through conversations, but every idle word. That's not going to be a pleasant day. That judgment is not going to be something that I'm going to look forward to. The reality is, is that what's in the well, it comes out of the well. Or what we say reveals who we are. Who are we this morning? Not who do we think we are, not who do we want people to think that we are, but who do, what does our words reveal us to be? Who is it that we, uh, that we really are? And I just want to make some observations this morning uh, about this. And we continue, we stop reading at verse 13, but in verse 14 he says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now understand some things. We're going to look at several verses this morning that use the word conversation. Conversation in the Bible almost always means a lifestyle, my testimony, how I live my daily life. It's more than just a conversation. Now, it includes a conversation. So to say that this is what I'm saying, because my daily life truly is a revelation of who I am and what I say reflects that. But understand the deeper meaning. It's deeper than just words. It's how we live. It's the habits of our life. It's, it's who we are. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. And so, those of you uh, who are just naturally quiet, there's some wisdom in that. Those that can't not talk, there's a lot of danger there. 
And so be cautious and be mindful of what's coming out. The first observation I want to make this morning is this, that rambling conversation reveals a sin-controlled life. Rambling conversation reveals a sin-controlled life. If I'm somebody that just is constantly just spewing out everything that I think, I'm not talking about necessarily someone that just talks a lot here. I'm talking about someone that just, you can't help yourself if somebody's telling you the story, but interrupt them and interject your opinion or your thoughts on it. So you're, you're, somebody's, somebody's just trying to share with you something that's going on in their life, and you can't even let them get it out uh, because uh, you want to tell them how they could have done it better or what they should have said or what they should have done. Or what they, and I think that we all, we all are prone to do that. We all, have, uh, we all have a propensity to do that from time to time. And it's generally well meant. It's not generally malicious. It's generally something that we would, we're, we're honestly just trying to be, uh, to add something meaningful to the conversation. But we need to be careful and mindful that when we just ramble on and on, that there's not going to be a lack of sin. Say, Pastor, is that, but everything that that person said uh, was, was good. Well, understand here that I can say things that sound good in the way that man thinks, but are contrary to the principles and the truth of God's Word. The logic and the reason of man is often contrary to the truth of God. And what we would widely hear and say, oh, that's, that's good, that sounds good, that was encouraging or that was helpful. If it, is, if, it is, if it is words that cause me to turn my attention from God and to the reason and the wisdom of man, it's sinful. We, we tend to think that in order for something to be sinful, it has to be something that we all recognize and call as wicked or evil or horrible or uh, it was crushing or it was de defeating or demeaning. Uh, that's not true. If it, if it puts me in opposition in my way of thinking, my way of living, my way of speaking to the character and the person of God, then it's sinful. And so when I look and I understand what he's trying to get across here, I'm saying that rambling conversation reveals a sin-controlled life. What controls my life this morning? Who's in charge? Is it the old me or is it the new me? Is it my old nature, my sinful nature, or is it the new nature that the Holy Spirit put in me whenever I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior? And I want you to consider th three things about this that kind of help identify where we are and who's in charge. Because I do believe that many Christians go through life, and I think all of us are capable, and probably the most dangerous are those that believe that we're always walking in the Spirit. Because I'm going to tell you, none of us are always walking in the Spirit. <laughs> There are times when all of us succumb to the desire of the flesh uh, in the way that we react, respond, the way that we say something, the way that we, uh, that we, that we think about something in a moment. Uh, and I, just to keep that in mind, the first thing I want to point out is this. Idle conversation fulfills the desires of the flesh. If my lifestyle or my words are fulfilling the desires of my flesh, what I want, when it's contrary to God, then it's sinful to me. You say, Pastor, does that mean that everything that I want to do is bad? No, that's not what I'm saying this morning. There are a lot of things that I believe fully that, well, you know, we spent much of the last 12 days just, just enjoying the beauty of God's creation. We didn't spend too much time in, in where a lot of people were. Honestly, whenever I go on vacation, I try to avoid crowds. Uh, other than going to church service, I try to avoid people as much as possible. And when I go someplace where there's going to be people, I try to find a place that's like that, that has the fewest people. Uh, not that I have anything against people, I just don't like people. No, I'm just kidding, not that bad. Uh, it's just that uh, we like to, uh, you know, we like to just, if I'm going to decompress, uh, I just, just, just put me out somewhere alone and, and for a little bit, and I can, I can rest and kind of come apart. So if we go... Uh, even here to a beach somewhere, we're going where we're not going where the crowd's at. And so when it, it comes down, oh, Pastor, you went to Hawaii. Did you go to Waikiki Beach? We walk to the beach to take a picture by the statue of Duke, who's a famous surfer. And then we went back to the restaurant that we were at. And we didn't stay there, nor would I ever pay money to stay on Waikiki. If I'm going to go back there and pay money to be there, 
I'm looking for some place remote. And we didn't stay there. We stayed on the opposite side of the island, uh, on the windward side, in someone's profit chamber. Uh, and so it was just basically a little room underneath some, and basically what amounted to someone's basement. Uh, it just happened to have a pretty nice view of, of the bay. Uh, and so it was, it was a beautiful place. And we're grateful for that. But my point is, is that I'm, I'm not going to go where there's like all of these massive crowds of tourists except for a targeted excursion into that area to do what my wife wants to do. Translation to all of you that don't know her that well. She's down here this morning shopping. That's the translation of that. Uh, and so uh, we, we are going to get away. Why? Uh, that's, those things are good. I'm not against those things. The, God's not against those things. The Bible's not against those things. When I talk about fulfilling the desires of the flesh, I'm not saying that it's bad for us to enjoy the creation that God gave us. God gave us a beautiful world. We don't happen to live in one of the prettier spaces of it, uh, but, uh, but it's, beauty, it's beautiful in its own right. But there are beautiful places on this earth, and God gave it that to us to enjoy it's not sinful to enjoy that or to desire to enjoy that. What does become sinful is whenever my desires go against the will of God for my life and I put my will above God's will. And so when we look at this in principle, we're talking about that the idle conversation fulfills the desires of the flesh. So when I begin to speak against the word of God, when I begin to desire going against the will of God for my life and some things for the will of God for my life are very clear cut in scripture that apply to all of us. And some of them are very case specific to my life. We're all individuals. God created us all with a plan and a purpose and a unique plan and purpose for our lives. And it's our responsibility to discover what that is and to, with his help, fulfill it and to do it. Whenever my conversation, my lifestyle, my words, my actions, my, those that I allow to influence me, uh, take me away from or steer me away from the will of God for my life, then that is an evil conversation. And we're talking about here then is idle conversation that fulfills the lust of the flesh. In Ephesians chapter number 2, in verses 1 through 3, he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive when we were saved. He made the dead spirit in us alive again. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, that would be Satan, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle habits in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. What a wonderful thing it is to know that God has reached out and saved us, and in the saving of us has made something that was dead within us alive again so that we can fellowship and rejoice in him. Idle conversation fulfills the desires of the flesh. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you in pursuit of with your life? The habits of your life, are they leading you to fulfill the will of God for your life? Or are they just fulfilling your own dreams and ambition where God's not a part of the equation? By the way, if you say, Pastor, God's not a part of the equation, I, I, it's Sunday morning and I'm here. There are a lot of people that will show up to a service here and there that really don't have any meaningful relationship with God. You understand what I'm talking about this morning is more than just, uh, you know, giving God a tip or paying God uh, passing homage. It is a life that is, uh, that is involved with him and fulfilling his will. The second thing I want to point out is this, that idle conversation fulfills the desires of the mind. There are things that I do and there are things that I make plans to do that I think of, that I dwell on. What am I dwelling on? I can be doing all the right things but dwelling on all the wrong ones. What's going to happen eventually is I'm going to begin to do the things that I shouldn't do. Most sin starts in the mind. There are things that are just spontaneous, that are a moment of weakness, that are a moment of the, the wrong influence hitting us at the wrong time, uh, and a moment when we're unprepared and it just takes us down. But for the most part, most of the times whenever we fail, when we fall, it's because we've been dwelling in our mind on something that we shouldn't have been for quite some time. And somebody that disappears from church and they, they say, I'm never going back to church again, they, they stop praying and they stop reading their Bible probably months before. They didn't just get up one day and say, I'm done with God. 
they drifted and they, their mind went someplace before the rest of them went there. Idle conversation fulfills the desires of the mind. Then thoroughly consider this, idle conversation fulfills the desires of our wrathful nature. Our nature is a nature that is filled with sin and wrath. You don't believe that? What's going through your mind the next time you're road raging? I'm guilty. I'm, I'm right there. It, it's when you're stuck in traffic, when that person cuts you off, when you're in a hurry and the light won't change and, uh, and, and, and the, all of that stuff comes up. When you're going through the parking lot and there's somebody driving the wrong direction out of the parking lot, that's one of my personal pet peeve favorites. Uh, and so uh, it's just like what's coming, what's going on in your mind? It's not a pretty picture. Why? Because we have a wrathful nature. When someone abuses you, when someone takes advantage of you, when someone does something intentionally to maliciously hurt you, when someone is unethical in their practices, when someone is doing things to undercut and undermine what you're trying to do, uh, what is your internal response? I'm talking about things that may never even come out your mouth. Why? Because it's a wrathful response. Why? Because that's our nature. Apart from Christ, that's who we are. So, Pastor, but I know this person, and they, they don't know Christ, but they're just a kind soul. They might be disciplined enough to be a kind soul externally, but internally they have moments where their wrath is apparent. Why? Because that's all of our nature. It's not unique to an individual. It's in mankind. It's part of human nature. So, first of all, consider that rambling conversation reveals a sin-controlled life. Is sin in control of your life this morning, of my life this morning? Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, it does not have to be, nor should it be. It may flare up from time to time, but it shouldn't be large and in charge. It should be uh, under the control of the Spirit of God. The second thing this morning, this. Redeemed conversation reveals a changed life. When Jesus Christ came and became your Savior, He came to change your life. Not just to change how we live. Which the, the change of how we live externally should merely be a reflection of who and what we've become internally. It shouldn't be put on to impress men. It shouldn't be put on to make us feel like uh, we're pleasing God. It should just be an, expo, an, expose, an expose of who we've become inwardly. And verse number 17, uh, again he says that the God, uh, or excuse me, that uh, that, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and of good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Redeeming conversation reveals a changed life. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. My lifestyle should be becoming of the, or, or pleasing to, or, uh, or shedding in a good light. The gospel of Christ. Three thoughts about this. First, understand that a redeemed life, a redeemed conversation should be a holy life or a holy conversation. Holy habits. Our life should become holy. It should change our talk. My talk, my verbiage, who I am inwardly, what comes up out of the well when I know Christ is my Savior should be transformed. It should be different. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 13 through 19. Uh, he, he, Peter says this, Wherefore gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning in fear. For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So what are we talking about here? That what I am and what I become at salvation should be fundamentally different than who I was before I met Christ. And that should be reflected in my life. It should be reflected by my words, but my words only reflect who I've become internally. 
There's a story told of a boy in a small town back in the days of large evangelist tent revivals, probably in the 50s or prior to that of the 1900s. And there was a boy in town uh, who was just simply known as Halfwit Jack. He just wasn't very smart. He just wasn't very sharp on the, and quick in his mind. And that's what everybody knew him as. I realize that's not really a, uh, uh, a, a, an acceptable thing or way to describe somebody today, but that, that's how he was known. Uh, and so on his area, in the area of town that he lived, there was also uh, a man who was a well-known Christian who, uh, who had a strong testimony in his community and uh, about a block or two up the road, there was also a man who was very well known, who was a lawyer, who was an agnostic. In other words, he, he, did, not, he did not know whether or not there was a God, but he, he, he wasn't an atheist. He wouldn't be bold, so bold as to say there is no God. Uh, he would just, but he would not acknowledge that there was one either. And this man is a lawyer in his community. He was well respected. He was very kind. He was a good man by, by human standards. He was compassionate. He was kind. He would, uh, the type of person that would give to charity, that would help uh, others in need. And because of that, he had a lot of influence. Uh, and he had a lot of influence within his community. And so he would spend a lot of his conversation time riding the bus into the city to work and, uh, and, and most of the time he would engage in conversation and often that conversation would come uh, to things that were spiritual and he would take the opportunity in his uh, goodness and kindness to just uh, kind of kindly tear down the idea that God is. Uh, and so one day a crew rolled in and they uh, began to set up a tent rapidly. And so if you see crews like that work, it's really pretty impressive. And uh, they, they just come in and everybody knows their role and things come together very quickly. And it just seems like in the blink of an eye where there was nothing, all of a sudden there's this massive tent. And so this tent comes up and everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Nothing had really been announced. And then uh, come to find out there was an evangelist who was very well known that was coming to town. And he was going to be preaching an evangelistic meeting. Uh, and so it wasn't a revival for the church. It was uh, the gospel to the community just for the simple of seeing people come to Christ. Uh, and so uh, the agnostic took note and wasn't real happy about it. But he, he would just didn't really change his being. Uh, and then the meeting started and the tent was filled every night. I mean, every night there were some people that came every night. There were some, the crowd changed a little bit every night, but for, uh, several days, the meeting's ongoing and people are just flowing in and flowing out and people are trusting Christ. And there's a big uproar in the town and, uh, talk and it's all wonderful. And then one night the agnostic finds out that Halfwick Jack went to the revival meeting or to the evangelistic meeting and, uh, he walked the aisle and he trusted Christ as a savior. And so the lawyer was just looking and, and, and looking and uh, he decided to, he was going to go. And so uh, the other neighbor that kind of shepherded the neighborhood the best that he could, uh, he sitting in there and he looks up and lo and behold, here's this agnostic neighbor sitting, uh, not in the back, but up near the front at the tent revival. And uh, he's there the next night and he's there the next night and he's uh, noticing on the bus, he gets on the bus to go to work and uh, this man would be there and this, uh, this agnostic lawyer would, instead of talking and engaging with conversation, would sit isolated and by himself and he would try to pretend like he was reading the paper and busy so no one would bother him. But he clearly, if you looked at him, wasn't reading anything. He was just looking above it and out, dazed out into space, just uh, thinking about what was going on. And then about the fourth or fifth night, this man gets up at the invitation and he goes down front and he gives his heart to Christ. Christ. The lawyer goes and, uh, and he says, what happened? He said, now I saw you the other day after little Jack made a decision. I saw you pass him on the street one day and say something and then you kept going and he went his way. And now here you are and you've been denied everything that you've been and you've become a Christian. What happened? And he said, he said it was that conversation with little Jack. He said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, he said, I, I, I went to Jack and I was trying to, you know, feel him out and find out what was going on. And he said, I looked at him and I said, Jack, I, I hear you. He called it got religion, but what he meant was started a relationship with Christ and trusted him as Savior. And little Jack said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, well, don't you know that that's, 
just all a bunch of, and he said, well, he said, let me tell you something. He called the lawyer's name and he said, he said, I realize that I'm just a simple boy. But if you're right and I'm wrong, I'm no worse off. In fact, I've lived a better life. But if I'm right and you're wrong, then you're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And he said, those words just captivated my mind and they rang in my heart and I went to work and unless I was engaged with a client or working on a case, I couldn't even focus to working on my cases for days. It's like the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my heart and would not let those words escape until I finally surrendered and gave my heart to Christ. Little Jack looked at him and he said, sir, if I'm right and you're wrong. And then he looked at him and he said this, he said, and, and, and Mr. Lawyer, he said, I'm no fool. The little boy that everybody called a halfway said, I'm no fool. What I'm saying this morning is simply this, that a redeemed conversation will reveal a changed life. A holy conversation changes our talk. But our talk has changed only because an honest conversation has changed our walk. Our walk must change when we trust Christ. And by the way, I say must change like like we have the power to do it. It's really not what we do. It's, it's the work of God in us. It's not disciplining yourself to be different. It's allowing God to change uh, who you are and what your values are and how you think about things and what you're doing. An honest conversation. The honest exclamation of who we've become inwardly. You see, when we come together on Sundays and Wednesday we come together in outreach on Saturday, if we come together for a special function and we meet each other for lunch or coffee at some point during the week and we sit down with someone to disciple them and uh, to bring them through the discipleship curriculum so that they're developing and growing in their walk and their relationship with God and getting solid and, and, and getting a good foundation under them biblically. What are we doing? We're just simply trying to share what's inside. It's honest. It's not put on. It's not pretend. Not, listen, uh, somebody that, that, that comes in that does not know Jesus as their Savior can say, Pastor, let me take your discipleship curriculum and teach it to this person. They can teach the words on the page, but they can't teach the relationship with the Savior. It's not about an intellectual position or place to be. It's an honest report of what's going on in our life. In ancient China, after the days of Hudson Taylor, when Christianity was thriving, there was a, a man that had a farm, and he raised his son. He was doing well, and, and he tried to train his son to, to, have a, uh, to be a good, upstanding citizen, to, to treat people kindly, fairly, honestly, that kind of thing. But the son wasn't having any part of it. He didn't want anything really to do with that lifestyle, and his dad would, uh, would, would try to keep him there working, and he would slip out at night. He would go away, and his dad tried everything. He, he tied him up, and he would get out of the ropes, and he'd uh, lock him in a room, and he'd find a way to break out of the room, and he'd go off, and he started hanging out with what would be the equivalent to us today of, of gangs. And after a while, his son just disappeared. His name was Wong. And after a while, the robberies commenced and beatings commenced and all the kinds of problems that went along with that, uh, that life in, in their cities around the, about them. And, uh, and come to find out that Wong rose to prominence within uh, this, this gang that he was in and became its leader. And he was known throughout the territory as Wong the Tiger. And you just, you, you didn't want to cross Wong the Tiger. You didn't want to come anywhere near him or his people. Uh, you, just, you just avoided it as much as you could. And you did what they told you you had to do if you lived in that area. And it was just, it, it, was, it was suffocating. Then one day, word got out that Wong the Tiger had died. And the, the, the funeral was planned and uh, the, the, the funeral details were published and large crowds gathered and uh, the man's father uh, came and traveled to the town where, uh, where he knew that Wong had been living and, uh, and he's there for this funeral service wanting to just know and learn and see for himself what had become of his son and uh, as they're, they're laid out there and the casket is there and they're going through all the process, the father finally makes his way up in front of everyone and, and he's going to open the casket to see his his son, and when he opens the casket, it's empty, and Wong steps out from behind the curtain and walks up to his father. And Wong addresses the crowd, 
puts his hand on his father's shoulder and says, I want everyone here to know that the man that you know as Wong the Tiger is truly dead. Because I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm not the same man anymore. And he went back to his father's house, and he went back to his father's way of life, and he went back and grew and learned and developed. What he changed, and what everyone knew about him changed, and he stood and changed. Why? Listen, his words didn't matter if there was no change of life and no change of heart. It's simply what came up from the well. It's simply drawing what's inside out. And understand this morning, what you say, what I say, how I live is merely a revelation of what's down in the well. I can put on, I can dress up, I can use flowery words, I can put a strong filter on who I am and where I go and what I do for the cause of noble causes of, uh, of doing right or representing the Lord well. But if it's not an honest reflection of who Jesus has made me, it's pointless and it's meaningless and it's frustrating and it undermines the true working of Christ in the hearts of men. Why? Because lost people see through it. That's right. Amen. Adults, we kind of get desensitized and we don't see through things as well. A child see through, will see through you in a heartbeat. You go get around some of these little children back in the children's church and the Sunday school classes, and, and you're, you're a harsh person, you're not a kind person, if you're, uh, if you're a mean-spirited person, that, that child will, will smell that out really fast. Because they just see us. They haven't been corrupted and defiled and conditioned to the ways of the world. Listen, redeemed conversation will reveal a changed life. A holy conversation, an honest conversation, and then a humbling conversation or a humbling conviction. We should walk humbly before the Lord. Again, First Peter in chapter number 3. He says in verse 15, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas ye speak, they speak, they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, my testimony, my walk should be humbling. In other words, I should walk humbly, but those that would come and falsely accuse me whenever the truth is revealed, they should be humble. Hey, they came and made an accusation, but everyone that knows the truth of who God has made me speaks back and cries out against that. Why? Because that people know what's inside. It's all about the well. It's about the heart. It's what God does within us that we cannot do for ourselves. Rambling conversation reveals a sin-controlled life. A redeemed conversation reveals a changed life. And then thirdly and lastly this morning, a revived conversation influences others for Christ. A revived conversation influences others for Christ. Verse 18 says, And the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace of them that make peace. See, we should be the peacemakers. We should be helping people make peace with God. So, Pastor, I'm good at being a peacemaker. When I was in fifth grade and we moved from Texas to Illinois, we got a student teacher in the last part of the year. And at the end of her student teaching, she comes into class and she started telling everybody what she predicted that they would become. Uh, and so she went around the room and she made her predictions about everybody and she looked at me and she said, I predict you'll be a lawyer. Thank God I didn't turn out to be a lawyer. <laughs> but she said, I watch you on a playground and you're like, you're mediating. You're like, you're getting people together to form a team to play this game. Or you're, uh, you know, diffusing somebody that was going to get in a fight or something like that. She's just watching from a distance. When we talk about what we're talking about here uh, is, is being a peacemaker. It's not about helping you know, Brother Buck make peace with Miss Leela. We gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, and so it's talking about helping man make peace with God. You see, if we truly make peace with the Lord, if we give our hearts to Christ, if we trust him as our Savior, 
the making peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the world at large becomes automatic. It's academic. It's the outflow of our relationship with Christ. Why? Because that's what's in the well. You can't draw something from in here that's not there. You can only draw up what's there. And there's only two options. Salt water or sweet. There's either my old nature or my new one. Who I was before I had Christ as my Savior. Who he wants to make me into after I become his child. What's being drawn out this morning? Am I somebody that's hoping in my life influence others for the cause of Christ? Does your life, does your conversation, do your words and your actions reflect something that's deep within you that draws others to have a desire to have a relationship with Christ? To want to know more about your Savior. To see you as someone that's so authentic that they cannot deny that there's something of God within you. Not put on, not practiced, not connived, but it's just there. It's what's in the well. Only God can do that. See, I'm either going to be influenced by word or I'm going to be influenced by walk. I can be influenced by your words. I can be influenced by the words of the world at large. I can be influenced by the word of God. Will I be influenced by word? Will my words influence others for Christ? And if they are, then I better be influencing by walk. Because if my words are not backed up by my authentic life, then they don't mean much nor to yours. See, what the world needs is not to see a bunch of people saying the right thing. But they need to see and hear a bunch of people that are authentically what they live and do. Christianity has devolved into something that is just a show. And for most people, they're content to be entertained or to entertain. But they don't have an authentic walk with God. So, Pastor, how can I know if somebody has an authentic walk with God? Well, you can't tell by how they look on the outside or you really can't tell by the clothes that they wear or the way that they do this, that, or the other. You've kind of been conditioned along the line religiously to think that too, but it's just not so. There are a lot of people that still look really rough on the outside that have a lot closer walk with God than some of the people that, that have everything just the way that we think it should be. A lot of newer Christians that are still trying to figure things out are a lot more godly people than some that have been saved for decades. What I'm saying is, is that our walk must influence and must back up who we say we are. What are we? What's in my well? If the well is sweet, share it. If the well is bitter, let Jesus change it. What's in your well this morning? Say, Pastor, I don't know what's in my well. I hope it's the Lord. What comes out when you're frustrated? Comes out when you're stressed. What comes out whenever you get bad news from the doctor? What comes out whenever things don't go the way you thought they would? Because that's the true test of what's in your well and what's in mine. I can't, I can manufacture a lot of Verbiage. I can manufacture a lot of response. I can anticipate how conversations were going to go, how confrontation is going to go. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in doing that too, by the way. Not not knocking that. If I have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, I have that conversation many times in my mind and consider many different avenues that that could go because I want to be prepared to respond in a way that pleases the Lord and to not let the old nature flare up. But what naturally comes up is a revelation of what's in the well. I don't know what's in your well this morning, but you do. And he does. 
You say, Pastor, will you say I do, but I'm really confused. Well, the Lord knows. He's not confused at all. He can take one sip and he knows. My wife and I, we didn't notice it so much in Hawaii, but when we go to Puerto Rico and visit her family, and where she grew up is, she didn't, her house and the house that she grew up in was probably about a five-minute walk from the ocean. You couldn't really see it because of the way things were laid out, but it, it wasn't far. About different directions you could go. And we, when we go there and visit, the water, the fresh water, there's just a little bit of saltiness to it. Technically, it's fresh. It's not brackish. It's, 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 it's good to drink. It's not, but there's just... It's just a little bit, it's a lot of desalination plants and things like that. You can just, it's just a little hint. If you're used to really good water, and when we're home, we pretty much don't drink anything but spring water. So there's just a little saltiness there. People that are used to it don't detect it. Like when she grew up there, she never realized it. I think for most of us, we're in a place where what's coming out of us is kind of a Still a mixture. And we can't necessarily get a good taste of whether or how pure it is. But God, one little sip and he knows. If you're trying to figure out what's in, just have a conversation with the Lord. He'll show you. One of the things that we did this week, and it was on my wife's to-do list, was there's a big dole plantation in Hawaii. At one point, they don't today, it's not, it's not that, at one point they had 75% of the worldwide market share for pineapples. Saw a big massive pineapple plantation fields. She grew up with those in Puerto Rico and, and most of the pineapple that you get, even in Hawaii, don't come from the Dole Plantation, they're shipped in from South America. Um, but we bought a couple of them and brought them home and I, there's a huge difference in the pineapple that you go and buy at Food Town or Walmart or Kroger and a pineapple that we just brought back from the Dole Plantation. Now, we cut one last night. Some of our kids were at the house and they took one bite and their eyes about popped out of their head. It's just that different. It's a different climate, different. That's the way that the world should react to an experience with a Christian. Pure. Walk with God. Not conditioned, not practiced, not rehearsed, but a natural response from the well that gives a pure, authentic Christ. So, Pastor, how can I become that? You, you can't. But if you'll surrender and let him take control and walk with God, he will come out of you. And what really gives that to the world at large and what draws people to Christ is not a Christian living a godly life. It's a Christian living a surrendered life that stays in the background and lets the Spirit of God walk and live through you. That's authentic Christianity. That's living a life that is living in the Spirit and the truth, the gospel of Christ. What kind of a life this morning am I living?